Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. Well, praise the Lord. I'll tell you, uh, very, very, very thankful for Brian and Sandy, and uh, we love them. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful for you as a church who have always been so very, very um, gracious, very giving with your prayers and with your financial support, not only to support them, but to continue to support uh, the, the nearly 140 missionaries. I think we fluctuate right around the 140 range uh, with those that go and come and uh, to support these missionaries uh, as they share the gospel all around the world. And I'm very, very thankful for that and thankful that we're able to do that. I want to encourage you, listen, if, uh, it, it, stay, stay, stay faithful with your faith promise because this has taken place all around the world and uh, because of our missionary partners. I'm going to ask uh, Brother Brian this morning. I've asked him to come and speak to us and uh, listen. But before they do that, I really think that we really ought to show our appreciation one more time for Brian and Sandy and their faithfulness in Nicaragua. Would you, would you do that with me and just join me in thanking them for all that they are doing and all that they've done. Brian, brother, you come. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Greg, and thank you, Battlefield Baptist Church. It's good to be home, and it's good to be with you folks. It's uh, a privilege for Sandy and I, as I said in Sunday school, for us to have this time to share with you all the blessings that God has done as we are constantly reminded that it is God who's doing the work. He uses us. And that's why I love that song the choir sang so much. Lord, if you can use anything, you can use me. Okay, please keep that attitude in your heart, not just in serving here in the church or, or in being faithful in your uh, prayers and giving, but consider that as your everyday drive. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me today. You can take my hands and my feet, my mouth, and that's the whole purpose of, of uh Romans chapter 6, verse 13, that we to give and yield ourselves as our members, this right here, the physical members of our body, as instruments of righteousness. That's the whole purpose of that. So that God can use us to do that which is right and, and correct and that which is holy and godly in this present world. Okay? And that's also the meaning of Titus 2, uh, 12, <laughs> okay? But that's another sermon. I'm not going to get into that today, okay? My heart is so full of things to say. The video you saw there of the, of the faces and the people, uh, the vast majority of the who you saw there have been saved and baptized just since um, December of last year. Um, I'll just be honest with you. 
And there's not, to me, there's nothing wrong with quoting statistics, but I'm not a big statistic guy, okay? Because uh, I don't want anyone to think that I'm taking part or glory in anything. But uh, just in the last year alone, the Lord blessed us with over 100 salvations through. Amen. Paul said, let no man glory but in Jesus. Okay, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, I mean 131, okay. Uh, we had between the Vacation Bible School this, this January, between the two churches, we had over 35 children come to know Christ as their personal Savior. Um, and, you know, it's just amazing what God does. And we have new families now that are coming to church because of Vacation Bible School. And that's what you want to see happening. But this, what they also that we saw happen in this particular Vacation Bible School was a renewed fervor amongst the, the people of the, both churches uh, to continue this momentum that Vacation Bible School uh, provided. And uh, they're just, their hearts are just on fire. Um, the pastor of the second church that you saw there, Iglesia Bautista Redención, Brother Luis, Hermano Luis, uh, he sent me a... Uh, message last night stating that um, this then in the past week uh, 11 people have come to know Christ as a personal Savior through, through visitation and through the church services. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. Okay? And all we can say is to God be the glory, great things he has done. Amen. But you all have had a part in that. And I hope it never, it never comes to the point here at Battlefield that you, as, especially those of you who have been here in the, in the church quite a, a long time, okay, those of you that are starting to get a little more like this on top, um, that you don't consider that as just ho-hum. That you just don't consider, okay, there's another missionary getting up there. Don't ever think that, please. Don't ever get to that point. Keep your heart and, 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 and spirit tender. Keep your heart and spirit rejoicing in what God can do. If he can use a rod, if he can use a sling, then he can use you. Amen. I'd like to draw your attention this morning to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. And... Um, for a few moments this morning, I want us to draw our attention in a, in a message uh, entitled, We Must Do It Now. We must do it now. We live in exciting times, don't we? <laughs> I, I think I hear more, more of an oh me than, an, oh, than amen, you know, or an oh my instead of an amen. But we do live in exciting times, people, Okay. Uh, you, and you probably, some could say, well, okay, I know you've been in Nicaragua. You don't know exactly what's all going on here. It doesn't matter. We live in exciting times, okay? We live in this moment where, like no other generation, if you haven't been paying attention, we're seeing more and more pieces fall in place, as the Bible said it would, that Jesus is coming. The rapture, folks, is going to happen, and it's going to happen soon. Are you ready? Are you ready? I hope so. I hope that you, that you and myself, we will do what John says. I mentioned this in, in Sunday school, but in John 1, 28, 
uh, John 2.28, John said, My little children, abide in him that when he appears, you may have confidence. And that word confidence means that you're excited, you're ready, you're anticipating, and you have been doing what Jesus said in Mark 13, that you've been watching and praying and not be ashamed as appearing. Oh, unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of Christians ashamed at Jesus appearing. Unfortunately. And the, the unfortunate part of it is, is that because of all the things taking place in this world, and we, we I'll say we, but a lot of people, I don't want to overgeneralize it, but a lot of people focus their attention on what the news is saying instead of, okay? Can I draw you to a couple of scriptures just before we get into John and in, in Psalms 119? Psalms 119 has become one of my favorite psalms. This psalm is, is almost entirely about the Word of God. And the psalmist writing here, he gives all these explanations, uh, you know, about why he loves the Word of God so much. You know, just real quick, in verse 1 and 2, he says that, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and seek him with a whole heart. There's a blessing. That's almost exactly how Psalms 1 starts. But there's a blessedness. There's a joy. There's a, 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 a hope that you and I should get from just being in God's word. Okay? But notice what the psalmist said here in verse 71. Psalms 119 verse 71. He said, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. Huh? Whoa, let's pump the brakes here a little bit. It's good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn what? Thy statutes. It's good that I get, I get uh, troubled. It's good they cut me off in 66. <laughs> it's easy for me to say that, right? Okay. But if you consider what the psalmist is saying here, it's good that these things happen, that I may learn more of your word. But if that wasn't enough, look with me here in verse 92. The psalmist said, Unless thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. Mark these verses in your Bible, when, and especially when you start getting a little down, woe is me, remember these. It's good that these things take place. It's good that the world seems to be going in a way that is so opposed to God. It's good so that we can learn and realize that, folks, we're only here for a moment, and I'm not talking about death. Because Jesus could come right now and take out his church. And because so many have focused on the world situation, governmental situation, policies and society and, and how it seems like that sin is rampant everywhere, they've taken their focus off what needs to be done now. They've taken their focus away from that. And it's not true just here. It's true around the world, okay? 
But remember, folks, right here is our source. Know this more than you do the self-help book that you want to buy. Know this more than some person, than, and I know this is getting to meddling now, but know this more than some Christian psychiatrist. Know this more. Seek the delight. The psalmist says, thy word, here in Psalms 119, that, his, that the word of God was more precious to him than silver and gold. Job said that he esteemed God's word greater than his daily food. Know this, church. Don't think that it's just enough to come to church on Sunday and in, in other times that you meet on Wednesday night and think that's enough for me. Know this book. Let it become part of you. Let it direct your life so that it truly is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Psalms 119, verse 105. Let it be this which will keep you from sin. Psalms 119, verse 11. Sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. Know it so that when in these days we can do what must needs to be done. Let's read in John chapter 9. And let's concentrate on the first four verses. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Let's pray. Father, thank you now for this moment that we have. Oh, Father, Lord Jesus, at this moment, I pray that we will do exactly as your word says we need to do. Oh, yes, we're familiar in James 1 uh, that we're to be doers of the word and not hearers only. But many times we forget what the two previous verses say to us, how do we can be doers of the word because we have put aside, we have laid aside all uncleanness and malice from our hearts. And we have received the implanted word which can save our souls. Let's do that right now. Father, remove anything that would be a distraction from us, a distraction to us. May we not have hearts hardened so that Satan can come in and just snatch the seed of your word, but have tender hearts so that your word can be sown, planted, grow, and produce fruit. Oh, Father, work in hearts today. But, Father, I also pray that you would give me your strength, your power, and your wisdom to be able to bring forth your word. Do not claim any, any credit because I do not want to have confidence in what I can do but what you can do through me. And we give you the thanks and praise for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, we are living in exciting times. And as the church, we should be happy that we're living now. Okay? Uh, remember what Jesus said before his return? You remember in, in Matthew 24 and Luke, also in Luke uh, 17? He said, 
as it was in the days of Noah. In Luke 17, he adds there, as it was in the days of Lot. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, those days weren't exactly two times the great evangelism of the world, was it? Okay? Uh, as it was in the days, and we can read in Genesis chapter 6 that even the imagination of man was evil. So as we read these verses, as it was in the days of Noah and as it was in the days of Lot, it's easy for us to interpret, oh, wow, wickedness was just, whew, it was rampage. It was just rampant throughout the whole world. And it was true. It was, okay? But there are also other layers to this that we can, can uh, get from those statements, as it was in the days of Noah and it was in the days of Lot. It wasn't just the wickedness, folks, Okay? There was an ineffectiveness of, of a message. Okay. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5, called Noah a preacher of righteousness. In that same chapter in verses uh, 6 and following, it says that, Jot, uh, that Lot was a just man. Wow. But when you consider this, and yet the results of, of the flood or the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's easy to ask the question, what happened? What went wrong? Why was Noah only and his family the ones that were saved? Why was it that it was Lot and, his, and eventually just him and his daughters that were rescued from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? Why? Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever reasoned why that it was just Noah and his family? You know, in the days of Noah, there should have been one obvious sign that the people saw that should give them a little bit of a clue that something was going to happen. That moment when the animals started going into the ark, Somebody should have said, well, you know, there may be something to what Noah was saying. But it was right there in their face, wasn't it? It was an obvious clue. It was an obvious sign. Nobody could deny it. Nobody could say, well, no, that's not really happening. Or, or you know, uh, you know I, I see this in a different way. I, I just see that Noah's just collecting some animals. So, folks, do you think there's some obvious signs today that the animals are getting into the ark? I believe there are. But unfortunately, many believers don't see them as obvious signs. Many believers don't think of it as that this is this moment that Jesus could come and take us out of this world, and then we got seven years of tribulation. Seven years in which that lost neighbor has less than a 50% chance of surviving. And if you think about it in that light, folks, guess what that means? It means that if Jesus comes today, Battlefield Baptist Church, you who are saved, you are that last witness before the tribulation. 
does it make it any difference then of what we must need to do? Because we don't know when Jesus is coming. Just as it was in the days of Noah, we don't know how long it took for the animals to get there, do we? We do not know what kind of journey those animals had to take from what regions of the world they had to, to come from in order so that Noah could have two of every kind and seven of those which were clean. But it was obvious that they were filling the ark. Folks, it's obvious that Jesus is coming. And there are some things that we must do. And there are some things that we must be mindful of so that we can fulfill what we've been asked to do as believers. And the first thing that we can see here in this text is that it is it, that through what in verse one, or I'm sorry, in verse two, the disciples asked Jesus, Master, did it, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? And I love Jesus' response. He said, neither of them. Why? Because Jesus said to him that the works of God should be made manifest in him. God still wants to manifest his glory. That's the first thing that we need to, to realize and we must be, be part of that God wants to manifest his glory in lives of people. In the church, in your life, Christian, God wants to manifest, still manifest his glory. God wants to manifest the glory in the life of believers through blessing them who are obedient and who love him. God wants to reveal his heart and his mind and his heart to you, his love to you as a as his child so that you can be that effective witness for him. He wants you and I to be faithful stewards of what we've been given. And I know Brother Greg has been preaching on stewardship, and I'm not going to tread on that too much. But listen, folks, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to say that we are truly honoring God with our substance if we're not giving back to him completely that which he's given us. Don't, don't sit in the pew and be convinced that you're honoring God, but you're holding back. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about those talents that you've been given by God. Those spiritual gifts that you've been given by God. Please don't sit in the pew and think and be convinced that you're honoring God, but you say, oh, no, I'm not going to do that now because... I, I can't or because uh, I, I don't like how this is done. I don't like X, Y, Z. Don't be convinced that you're honoring God with your substance, but you're holding back. Okay? You know, Moses told the people of Israel, and I want you to turn here real quick. In Deuteronomy and this verse changed everything for the people there in Nicaragua when it came to giving. And I would encourage you to, to meditate on these two verses. In Deuteronomy 14, 22 and 23, Moses says, Thou shalt surely tithe all the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth 
forth year by year. Oh, and by the way, do you realize that the Jews had three tithes? We're not talking 10%. We're talking 30%. Okay? But that's another, another time, another message, another study. And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there, the tithe of thy corn, tithe of thy wine, and thine oil, and the persons of thy herd, and thy flocks. And underline this, because this is the real reason why we need to honor the Lord with our substance. That thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. God wants to manifest his glory in your life, Christian. But the question is, how much are you learning to fear the Lord through your giving? You see, in Nicaragua, with other Central American countries, and I'm sure in other areas of the world as well, it's easy for them to say, I can't give because I'm poor. Okay? But when God revealed this to me, and I've been teaching stewardship to the people, it's not an issue of what your economic status is. It's, the issue is, how much are you willing to learn to fear the Lord because you're giving? I know, it gets quiet in these things like this. Okay? How much is your giving teaching you to learn to fear God? To respect God? To reverence God? Because you're giving, not just of your money, but of your time and your talents and your spiritual gifts and everything of your life because the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell therein, Psalms 24.1. How much, Christian, are you learning to respect God? and reverence God through your giving. Because God wants to manifest his glory in your life. Okay? But you see also in this, in this what, situation where Jesus and the blind man, he said that he wants to manifest the works of God in him because what he was really saying to the disciples was, there is nothing that, that can help this man apart from me. Doctors can't restore his sight. Money can't buy uh, his sight. There is not any essential oil. There is not any kind of other uh, medicine available that will take this man from being blind to where he can see. But just me. The world is full of people that can't change anything about them except for Jesus. You know, we get, we get worked up over how people are conducting themselves and presenting themselves and using platforms to say this, that, and the other. But folks, should it come as any surprise? They're only acting out what they are. They're sinners. Okay? Ephesians 2, and, and I know Brother Greg will get there later, but 2 and 3... Paul just says, look, this is what really is happening. Because in verse 1, he says, In whom you have he quickened or made alive, who were once dead in trespasses and sin. He said, you walked, Christian, you used to walk according to the course of this world. In Spanish, he calls it, says, the corriente, or the current. How the river's flowing. We just, before we got saved, we just walked with the flow. Why? Because that flow is directed by the prince of power of the air. Which means what? Well, they're not going to admit it. 
And if you're here today and, and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, this is the truth of the matter. You may think you make your own decisions. You may say, nobody tells me what to do. You may think and you may say, I am independent. I am me. But the truth of the matter is, you're just a puppet. And Satan's the one's pulling the strings. No, that's the truth of the matter. And many times we don't consider that. Even as Christians, we don't look at the loss and say, they're just doing what the puppeteer is doing. Pulling the strings. So should it come as any surprise that the world gets worse and worse as far as sin is concerned? I mean, Jesus even said that in Matthew 24. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But that shouldn't stop us. That shouldn't, that means, in fact, it should even motivate us even more to rejoice that we're saved, to rejoice that Jesus saves, that we rejoice that we have a message that Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. And when Brother Greg announces the text on a, on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, oh, brothers, I, I just want to bring you a salvation message from John 3, 16. Christian, don't flip the switch. Oh, I've heard that before. No! Rejoice that you're saved. Let it swell up in your heart. As Christians of old used to say, and the hymn of old saying, tell me the old, old story. Tell me the old, old story. Tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Or, as I really love this one, what love can't remember, no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Sing it if you know it. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Again, praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Hallelujah. Jesus saves. And we have that message to tell the world. We must do it. Don't let the situation of life divert your attention. Don't let the sinfulness that has ravaged this nation divert your attention. The works of God need to be manifesting people. The works of God need to be to be made manifest as it was in the life of Joanna who works at the bus stop, bus terminal. I give her a track and I said, would you mind reading this? I come back a week later and I said, Joanna, did you read that? And she goes, yes, I did. In fact, I prayed the prayer and asked Jesus to come into my heart and save me. And she says, now we're going to the missionary church that you told us about. The works of God was made manifest in her life. Changed her completely. And now her and her whole family go to church there. Don't let wickedness deter you, Christian. 
God wants to save people. God wants to use you and me so he can manifest his glory because only Jesus is going to change things. I know this isn't a political platform, but please don't throw confidence in political leaders. Don't think just the election of one person is going to change everything. Why? Are, you, are, are we trying to prepare the world for Jesus to come? We're not the ones that's supposed to, to, to get things ready for the kingdom. We're supposed to bring the kingdom. We're supposed to preach the message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. God wants to manifest his glory in the lives of people. We must do it. We, we, look, we go on and, and we say here, Verse 4, I must work the works of him. Okay. It must be be done because we've been sent. You and I both have been sent. It doesn't matter if you go across the ocean or not. Go across the street. Go next door. Tell that person you work with. Tell that person at the convenience store. And please, don't find limitations Are you following me? Don't look for limitations. Don't try to convince yourself, well, you know, can't really say this, can't really say that. Give the gospel and let God do the rest. Okay? You see, Jesus was not ashamed of what he was supposed to do. Jesus did exactly what he was supposed to do. If we had more time, you can read John 5, 19, where Jesus said, I only do the works of him that sent me. John 12, the last two verses, says, he, he says, I only speak the words that the Father's given me. They're not my own words. These works that I do, they're not my own works. These are just, I'm just doing what God, the Father, wants me to do. Aren't we supposed to be the same way? Aren't we supposed to be the ones that reveals Christ? Because we've been sent. And that's, that's a whole other message out of John 20, 21. Okay? But Luis Vega, the pastor of the second church, he gives his testimony. And again, folks, please, I'm not trying to take credit here. When he gives his testimony, he says, I'm only here because Brother Brian gave me a track and invited me to church. And now he's the pastor of the second church. Brother Yaido and his wife, they were saved and baptized. Well, she was saved previously, but not baptized, but he was saved and baptized in the work. And he'll tell you it's only the gospel that made the difference in his life. Okay. And there's so many others that I could tell you about, but the truth of the matter is, folks, we've been sent. We've been sent. And we need to embrace that, rejoice in that. It's Romans 11:33 is a powerful verse. Oh, the depths and the riches, both the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his, right, are his judgments and his ways past finding out. If you isolate that text, 
you have a wonderful, wonderful text to teach and to preach about the, the glory and the goodness and the, and the greatness of God. But in the context of that chapter, that verse is a, is a conclusion, a rejoicing verse over the fact that you and I have been included. It wasn't just the gospel for the Jews. It's the power of the gospel to the Jew first and also the Greek that changes life. And Paul is saying the Gentiles are included in this, so all the depths of the riches, both the wisdom and knowledge of God, including us. Oh, he included me. Yes, Jesus included me. When the Lord said whosoever, he included me. And because he's included me and included you, we've been sent so that others can hear. And we must need, we need to do it. We really do. Okay. But I want to conclude with this. In verse 4, the part that's mostly familiar, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. <clears throat> we must do it, guys, because the clock's ticking. The clock's ticking. If we truly believe that Jesus could come today, what are we doing then? Unfortunately, we live in an age where when many Christians hear the message, those who profess to know the Lord as their personal Savior, and they hear a message, they do one of three things. They try to find a loophole to justify their, their way of living. They try to find a loophole in the message. Or they try to, to find a criticism about the messenger. And through that, they say, well, you know, I know what he's doing, or I know, I know that he doesn't really do that, even though he's saying it, you know. Therefore, why should I have to do it? Or they just excuse it altogether and just say, forget it, I'm not going to do it. And therefore, we, we live in, a, in, a, in an age, as it was in the days of Noah, the message is not effective. Not that, it's, not that it can't change lives. but because of the attitude of so many believers and how when they hear the word, they make one of those three judgments. And then they leave church going back to what they do. But I have a question for you guys. How can we convince the world, how can we, con how can we convince lost people that Jesus can change their lives when we live like he hasn't changed ours? Just think on that for a minute. How can we convince lost people that Jesus can change their life if we live like he hasn't changed ours? The clock's ticking, guys. And that's why we need to get honest with God. As, tr as, as believers today, we need to get honest with God about our own lives, our own way of how we live, And realize what our own part in all this is. 
because it needs to be done. And we need to come before God and present ourselves as individuals that are willing for him to use in any and every situation of life. It must be done. Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to get honest with God this morning? Maybe you're here without Jesus as your, as your Savior. Be honest with God and just say, I'm a sinner. He already knows it. <laughs> okay? He already knows it. But tell him that you are. Confess. Repent. Ask Jesus to save you. Christian, Oh, I tell this to the people in Nicaragua all the time. You can come to church and you can fool us and you can fool other people, but you can't fool God. Don't get so lofty and, and high-minded and thinking that, that you are doing so well for the Lord like the Pharisee. Oh, I pray and I fast and I tithe, but I'm not like that publican over there. Uh, okay, don't be that way. You know, Romans 1, 18 through 31 talks about what happens when people who knew God, but they chose not to honor God, and neither were they thankful, and all the, the downward progression. And we love to teach and preach those verses. But it's rare for someone to go on verse chapter 2, verse 1, where Paul says, don't think you're, you're without excuse. Don't think you're inexcusable. Christian, get honest with God today. You know how you're living. You know what, what exactly is in your heart, what's more important to you. And if it's not the Lord, you're not honoring him with all your substance. Come and make it right. Come and make a change so that you can fulfill what needs to be done. God wants to manifest the glory in the lives of people. But it's only Jesus that's going to do, make that change. And we are on limited time. Let's stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Pastor Greg, As we're standing here, I want to encourage you to every head bowed. Use this time as a time of prayer. As Brother Brian was preaching earlier, uh, immediately as he was sharing what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, my mind went to Colossians chapter 3. If you remember a while ago, about a month ago or so, maybe two months, I was talking about Colossians 3 and verse 15. Where the Bible says, let the peace of God, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And we were talking about the peace, and we like to talk about peace. But if you remember, I was talking about it in a sense that the peace of God should be the, the umpire. 
The peace of God should be the one calling balls and strikes in our life. But it's not just the peace of God that Paul was writing about because in verse number 16 he says, Let the word of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Is the word of God in your heart? Is it at home in your heart today? If it's not, I know it's very peculiar to, as Brother Brian, for some, they, they say, you know what, I've never been forward to, to the altar. That seems so yesterday. I got news for you. One day we're going to see Jesus. And the altar will not seem so yesterday. Because I believe that when we see Jesus, every knee will bow. Not just to say and to proclaim the name that's above every name. I believe that when we see Jesus, we're going to drop, as the old Marine would say, drop, flop, and roll. We're going to be, you think I'm bug-eyed. You wait till you see you when you see Jesus. What a day that's going to be. I served for a pastor in Missouri who used to say this all the time, that the, the altar is not a place of embarrassment. It's a place of acknowledgement. It's a place of acknowledging our need. It's a place of acknowledging His greatness, His glory. And I beg you, you say, say well, what's the big deal about coming there? I can pray where, right where I am. You know it shows Him something when you honor Him. It doesn't show me a thing. This altar is not for me. It's not for Brother Brian. We glory in anything. Paul says that we're to glory in the cross of Christ. Galatians chapter 6. Listen, maybe you have something to praise God about. When was the last time you came to the old, that, that's quote unquote old fashioned altar just to praise God, to thank Him that His glory has already been manifested in you? Or maybe that His glory has been manifested in a family member or a friend recently? When was the time you just praised God for that? I want to encourage you to make use of this time. Because right about now the music's playing and your stomach has started to grumble. And that old devil, as Brian was talking about the puppeteer, he's already started pulling the strings. Saying it's time to eat. Don't walk out of this place without Jesus. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, that idea of repentance is right here for you today. You can turn from the way that you might think you're doing things right according to your way, but the Bible says the ways of man are the ways of death. And so I encourage you, if you've never called out upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says that it's as simple as that. If you'll call out upon the name of the Lord in recognition of your need and ask Him to do what only He can do anyway, the Bible says He will hear you, He will forgive you, He will come into your life and sup with you might be able to sup with him oh what a day today would be if you gave your heart and life to Christ maybe you're here and you're a believer and maybe maybe just maybe you got your toesy stepped on a little bit and brother Ryan talked about our job of manifesting God's glory maybe your toes got a little stepped on when he said hey we're the ones that have been called to go out and do the work as Jesus did he said I work the works of him that has sent me my Bible says that our redemption draws nigh. It means that our time, my time, your time, and this earth is 
coming closer and closer to its end. That's not a scare tactic. That's called reality. I pray that you'll use this time wisely as the Lord draws you. Father, we love you. We thank you for this message. We thank you for the challenge that has been laid before your church. That your glory might be manifest not only in Northern Virginia and Nicaragua, but all around the world. And that, Father, we might be reminded of our call, our, our purpose to be a part of what you want us to be doing now. Understanding that there's coming a day when we'll not be able to do anymore. There's coming a day that we will be with you. And while we celebrate and we rejoice in that reality, Lord, what about those who may be in this room, maybe watching online, who have never called upon the name of the Lord? Lord, I pray that you will, through the preaching of your word and the wooing of the Holy Spirit, that you will draw that person unto yourself today where they might find the forgiveness of sin and life everlasting through Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we will be excited, that we will be, we will be more zealous to go away from this place today, eager to share the love of Christ and the truth of Christ with a world that is so desperate in need of that message. Father, I pray that you'll have your will and way during this time of invitation and that this altar will be used for your honor and for your glory. And we give you the praise for it in the precious and the most powerful name above all names, the name of your son, Jesus. And we pray this for his sake. Amen and amen.